the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 452 for February 1st, 2015. The FCC's latest Spectrum auction wraps up, Apple reports the largest quarterly earnings of any company in history, and Microsoft releases its Outlook application. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. In the news this week, FCC Commissioner Jessica Rosenworcel on Tuesday said the government needs to do a better job of allocating spectrum for unlicensed access, such as Wi-Fi. Rosenworcel emphasized the importance of Wi-Fi and the role it plays in today's economy. She noted that more than half of Americans have used public hotspots and more than 60% of Americans use Wi-Fi at home. The commissioner outlined three steps to make the availability of Wi-Fi continuing its growth uh, and, of course, to stay up with demand. First off, she wants the FCC to commit to freeing up more spectrum for Wi-Fi, such as the white space in the 600 megahertz band. Secondly, she wants the government to change the way that it accounts for spectrum, assigning more value to spectrum set aside for unlicensed access. And third, she made clear that the FCC will not tolerate willful interference with Wi-Fi. Last year, several hotels asked the FCC to allow them to manage guest guest access to personal hotspots in the name of security. She, however, concluded by saying she believes the future of Wi-Fi and wireless connectivity will be stronger if we make room for more Wi-Fi. Now, sticking with the Wi-Fi interference topic with this, the FCC also issued a reminder to businesses this week that blocking and jamming of Wi-Fi signals for any reason is illegal and that the willful or malicious interference with Wi-Fi hotspots is illegal and their enforcement bureau has started to see a trend with hotels and other commercial establishments blocking consumers' access to their own personal hotspots. And as a result, they're protecting customers by aggressively investigating and acting on the unlawful interference of these networks. The FCC recently fined Marriott $600,000 for blocking guest access to their hotspots. They say Wi-Fi represents an essential on-ramp to the internet and that they pointed out the it is illegal to market, sell, or operate equipment that jams wireless signals. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is still, even though it's not a commercial license, this is still, you know, FCC covered spectrum and you cannot be jamming other people's wireless. That is not, uh, that's not legal. So uh, these hotels need to, you know, these hotels and other uh, you know, event centers trying to, you know, either commercialize their own thing or trying to, you know, keep other people's uh, networks and keep the, the clutter down. They've got to deal with it. They're using the open spectrum, too. So they're uh, they're in with everybody else. This isn't a, uh, you know, non, you know, non-competitive thing. And as we talked a couple weeks ago, you know, they it, it, really there should be probably some commercial Wi-Fi licenses where every device can actually receive and transmit with commercial Wi-Fi spectrum, where if you're a hotel, for example, you could buy that spectrum to use within your facility and then have Wi-Fi on those channels that are dedicated for you to use. And so you won't have interference and maybe even be on a slightly different band. So you don't have interference. But until that happens, you've got to you've got to suck it up and uh, deal with it. You know, it was interesting this week. I I don't travel a lot, um, but when I do, I I always think about this stuff. And so as I was putting together the notes for this week and and saw this story and I was thinking about it as I was sitting in a hotel room, of course, that a um, that I was, in fact, doing just this. I had, you know, the 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 iPad in personal hotspot mode and I was using my computer to to connect to it. And 
Um, one of the things that I was, what I was realizing was that on, on the Mac side, uh, and I didn't have my Mac, I had my PC, my Windows laptop. And so on the Mac side, you can easily just turn on that personal hotspot and plug it into the Mac and it'll just work. It just connects to it and creates a tether and you don't have to deal with, with anything on the Wi-Fi if you don't want to. Um, however, it is, of course, much more convenient in many cases to have that personal hotspot on. On the Windows side, I was trying to figure out how to do that. And I guess you got to have uh, iTunes in order to do that, to, to plug it in and make that that tethered connection, which it's a corporate computer. And of course, I don't have iTunes on it and don't have any desire to put iTunes on it. So I uh, had to had to end up tethering and was thinking again about it as I was in the hotel saying, well, this is really great news that they're not blocking it, because if they did, I would I would have to pay whatever the amount is for to use their their network. Yeah. And who knows if their network coverage is any good in your room. And that's one thing you just you just don't know. So it's is, uh, you know, this kind of goes back to the big thing. I mean, you, you can't have uh, pirate stations. You can't jam other radio like some people like to jam cell phones uh, in their you know theater. You can't do that. You can't interfere with with uh, radio spectrum. Yeah, it's and of course, this is something that is not new. It's just new because it's a it's, you know, jamming that is. But the actual jamming of personal hotspots hasn't really been a thing because most, you know, the average traveler didn't really have them until within the last couple of years. And uh, really, as we've seen tiered data plans come online and, and really kind of take over the types of plans that people have, where it's just now included in your data plan, more people are using them. That's exactly it. Because, uh, I mean, really, we didn't have a lot of the plans include the personal hotspot. I mean, that wasn't really that common, especially with all the iPhones, you know, early on, they had the capability. But with the AT&T Unlimited plan, you had to pay extra for that. And a lot of people didn't. Yep, exactly. So there's uh, some interesting stuff with this here. And, uh, you know, the FCC taking a pretty hard stance on this. And we'll see if any enforcement actually means anything. But uh, good news is that you should not have uh, problems when you go into hotels moving forward. Well, a few months ago, we mentioned that Iowa was looking to become the first state to allow digital driver's licenses that would be managed through an application on a resident's smartphone. Following in Iowa's footsteps, Delaware is considering whether or not to provide a digital driver's license to the citizens of its state. Its assembly recently passed a resolution requesting that the Division of Motor Vehicles study and consider issuing optional digital driver's licenses for all of their motorists. According to the resolution, Delaware uses the same driver's license vendor as the state of Iowa and would be available in addition to standard physical licenses and, of course, would not be required of its residents. The state indicated certain security standards would have to be met and they might require the use of biometrics or other technologies to authenticate device ownership and identification. Well, the FCC this week said Auction 97, which covered blocks of spectrum in the AWS 3 band, is now over. It received a final bid on Thursday for the 695 to 1710 megahertz unpaired spectrum band just the day after it closed bids for the GHINJ paired spectrum bands. The AWS 3 auction encompassed 65 megahertz of spectrum in the 1695 to 1710 band and also the 1755 to 1780 and 2155 to 2180 megahertz bands. Those last couple are paired. Now, the paired blocks saw the most action, of course, especially the J block, which offered a 10 by 10 megahertz block in large metro areas. After 341 rounds of bidding, the AWS 3 auction generated winning bids totaling $41.3 billion dollars. That's more than four times the reserve price for the auction, and that's the largest auction in the history of the FCC. Now, all said, the commission auctioned off 1,600 licenses for which 70 companies were competing. The 10x10 J block was the most coveted section of airwaves, while the G, H, and I blocks were all 5x5 megahertz channels, but they also, of course, saw competitive bidding. 
AT&T and Verizon won many of the JBlock segments. For example, AT&T placing a $2.76 billion winning bid for the JBlock spectrum covering New York, Verizon, um, and uh, some other cities. However, the JBlock covering Washington and Baltimore was only $966 million, and that went to Verizon. Uh, now, aside from the AT&T and Verizon uh, wins, T-Mobile, North Star Wireless, Advantage Spectrum, and SNR Wireless Company, which was owned by Dish, won the majority of the other licenses. AT&T bids alone totaled $18.2 billion, while Verizon bid $10.4 billion, and T-Mobile bid $1.8 billion. Now, the two bidding entities tied to Dish Networks totaled $13 billion, all said. AT&T said the AWS 3 Spectrum winnings that it received in the contiguous 10x10 block across the country will be used for a lot of downlink services. Uh, It covers 306 million people, which is 96% of the U.S. population, and get this, 96 of the top 100 markets. So this is very valuable spectrum for them. They plan to begin deployments in the 2017 to 2018 timeframe, and uh, like I said, we'll uh, plan to use those to supplement the downlink services that they have today. Verizon uh, received 181 licenses covering 192 million pops or 61% of the U.S. Verizon customers. They will announce more plans for what they're going to use that spectrum for next month. So I find this to be pretty big news, obviously a huge uh, auction. We've been talking about it for a couple of a uh, couple of months now. Finally, it's all said and done. These are the next blocks of spectrum that you're going to see in the next versions of our phones that we're buying here over the next couple of years. Also on Thursday, the FCC adopting rules, it's uh, first proposed last year to eventually help first responders locate people who call 911 from their cell phones. Specifically, the FCC wants first responders to better be able to locate people within buildings. The FCC has laid out clear, measurable goals for carriers to provide not only the X and Y, but also the Z coordinates to help place callers as accurately and as specifically inside of a building and, of course, trying to narrow down a specific room inside that building. The FCC said it understands that there's no silver bullet and those carriers will need to rely on multiple different technologies to reach the benchmarks it has set in place. They allow uh, operators some leeway in developing their own standards as long as they meet the accuracy location. So uh, a lot to go still with this one here, but uh, good news for those that are calling 911. Microsoft on Thursday agreeing to invest an unknown amount in Cyanogen. This is uh, a company that uh, we've talked about in the past on the show. And those of you that are Android users probably know all about uh, Cyanogen. It's a company that offers a version of Android highly modified from Google's stock releases and is something that allows a ton of customization for for people that are looking to install uh, certain things on their Android devices. Uh, Cyanogen recently raised $70 million in funding Uh, of which Microsoft is paying a minority role in. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. But neither Microsoft nor Cyanogen commented on Microsoft's involvement with the software maker. But uh, Cyanogen's CEO said that they're going to take Android away from Google and are working with handset makers to make a version of Android pre-installed on devices rather than Google's. It has succeeded with Micromax in India and is working uh, to win over others as well. Google may offer Android to OEMs for free, but of course they repl- they place a lot of restrictions on what they can do and give uh, certain access to the Android Play Store and whatnot. Cyanogen has 50 million people uh, with its software installed on their various Android devices, most of which, of course, are enthusiast users. 
that uh, sideload the operating system onto their phones. Yeah, and I have CyanogenOn on my uh, HP touchpad still. Obviously, I don't pull that thing out that much these days, but uh, that was running on there. And uh, they obviously make quite a few versions for different uh, popular handsets, depending if not they're easily unlockable or not to get those installed. And it's, you know, it's been a pretty decent OS, uh, you know, over the years. And it was one of the real first kind of uh, organized group that were able to take the Android open source project and really compile it and get it running uh, kind of reliably on devices that, you know, get taking away the, the skins, the front end skins uh, that were really, really heavy back, you know, five, six years ago. Uh, but now they're kind of changing. They're, they're, they've kind of organized into a company now. So now they're kind of changing roles here. And they, 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 they kind of going on the offensive against Android, too, which is kind of weird because that's where they come from. So it's kind of a strange, uh, strange situation they're in. I mean, they rely completely on Google and and the Android open source project. But of course, that's kind of a spinoff from the Google Android that they you know, they don't sell to manufacturers, but they license and they have re- the restrictions and requirements for actually being able to have the Play Store and the Google Play services in. That's why CyanogenOn actually doesn't bundle the Play services in there. And if Google starts cracking down on that, that really could hurt uh, their ability to uh, have customers. And, and just to be clear, what they're doing is not illegal because Android is open source. So they're just taking it, modifying it, and, and releasing it and allowing for people to download and put it on whatever they want. Absolutely, absolutely. The, the, the thing that Google may clamp down on are, is installing the, the, uh, the ability to install the Play services, including the Gmail, the Play Store, uh, all those other you know major applications that Google provides for Android that uh, you can go get the APK to install that on Android. Basically, in every case, it's, it's, it's packaged separately, but they may start clamping down on the ability to install those. Which is to say that they'll have to, as a user, have to figure out different ways to do all of these different things and, and use the services. But but ultimately, I I, I think uh, Android and, and Google realize that um, you know that this is this is still a way for people to use their devices in the way that I that they, I think holistically think about the the project. It's a you know being able to do what you want with your device is kind of the you know the the the, the overall goal of what Android is. It is. And, and now that, uh, you know, I've kind of said this before, maybe a year or two ago when, when Google bought Motorola, I still kind of feel like Google may start taking Android into its own closed source dom- domain where they they may start uh, really changing it into a, a different OS that's not open source. Uh, where I, I don't know if they use Android as a back end or, or they, they create a whole different front end that they sell to manufacturer. I, 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 th- I feel like a change is going to be coming because it, it seems like this uh, the, the open source version of Android may not be sustainable for the long term because of things like CyanogenMon, what can happen when you have that open source. So I, I just feel like this could be we could be seeing a shift or a fork from this to uh, to not an open source version. That's an interesting thought. I, you know, I, I'm thinking kind of the opposite uh, direction, but again, I'm thinking more on the, you know, kind of happy, happy joy, you know, well, we can do whatever we want and let people, uh, you know, ruin their own lives or their own devices type of thing. But uh, certainly there's going to be some there's going to be some sort of culpability that Android and Google is going to have to take on with this um, and, and what they offer. So, yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens here. But anyway, just kind of an interesting thing. Microsoft putting some money into Cyanogen there. So we'll uh, we'll see what ultimately that means. Uh, finally, in uh, general news, Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel on Friday announced an initiative along with AT&T, Sprint, T-Mobile and Verizon that will see the city subway system upgraded with support for LTE. The City of Chicago and the Chicago Transit Authority agreed to fund a $32.5 million project 
An existing cellular enhancement system has been in place for nearly 10 years on the subway system and is now, of course, outdated with its 2G technologies. Emmanuel said the project will deliver continuous 4G coverage along a 22-mile stretch between O'Hare Airport through the tunnels and platforms of the Red and Blue Lines. Work on the project actually began earlier this month and will be completed by the end of the year. Los Angeles recently announced a similar initiative. Boston, New York, and Washington, D.C. all offer underground cell service in their respective transit systems. From AT&T this week on Monday, they announced an initiative, uh, or its intention, I should say, to purchase Nextel Mexico. That covers 76 million customers across the country. Nextel Mexico is currently owned by NII Holdings, and AT&T will pay it $1.875 billion for the company. NII Holdings is currently in bankruptcy, and AT&T's offer is less than their outstanding debt. AT&T will require all of the Spectrum licenses, network assets, retail stores, and about 3 million customers to come over. Uh, according to AT&T, the proposed proposed acquisition uh, completes and complements its recent purchase of Iusa Cell, another Mexican network operator. AT&T said it plans to create the first ever North American mobile service area covering more than 400 million people across Mexico and the U.S. The deal will need to be approved by both bankruptcy courts and Mexican regulators. AT&T expects the deal to close by mid-2015. Well, Verizon is planning to increase fees it charges customers when they activate a new line of service or upgrade to a new device starting early next month. On February 5th, Verizon will increase the activation fee from $35 to $40 and increase the upgrade fee from $30 to $40. According to Verizon, it hasn't increased the activation fee in more than 10 years. It last increased the upgrade fee in 2012. Well, T-Mobile late last week unveiled a new program called Score. This offers customers cheaper handset upgrades. With Score, users will get a free entry-level smartphone after six months with significant discounts on all T-Mobile devices, including flagship products coming just 12 months into their agreement. Score costs $5 a month and is open to all T-Mobile customers, whether prepaid or postpaid. And after paying $5 a month for six months, customers can choose to get an Alcatel One Touch and Evolve 2 at no additional cost. Or after paying $5 a month for 12 months, can take $150 off new devices such as the Motorola Nexus 6 or $100 off of the Samsung Galaxy S5. Actual handset discounts will vary based on when the customer chooses to upgrade and what devices are available. Customers who enroll in SCORE today uh, will be able to upgrade to new free phones as soon as July 25th or on heavily discounted flagship phones on July 25th of 20 uh, excuse me January 25th of 2016 T-Mobile planning to make some uh, software upgrades available to handsets compatible with its 700 megahertz spectrum in the next few months as of today only the Samsung Galaxy Note 4 and the Galaxy Note Edge can use the LTE on T-Mobile's 700 megahertz holdings uh, T-Mobile said it will provide the system update to the Nexus 6 from Motorola in the early part of 2015, followed by the Sony Xperia Z3 and the Samsung Galaxy Avant in May and the ZTE Max later this year. Two tablets and T-Mobile's Z915 LTE 4G hotspot also support the 700 megahertz airwaves. T-Mobile is supplementing its AWS LTE network on the 700 megahertz holdings in select markets around the country. The company is still in the process of deploying LTE to all of its 700 megahertz spectrum. Well, Apple announcing its Q1 2015 earnings results this week, reporting $74.6 billion in revenue and earning $18 billion in profits during the three-month period. Now, in addition to being the biggest quarterly profit by any company ever, Apple reported some pretty staggering sales numbers for the following categories. 
For the iPhone, 74.4 million units were sold. So think that that's this is Samsung numbers across all of the devices that Samsung owns. And in fact, there was <clears throat> another story that I read this week showing that the iPhone and Samsung are basically neck and neck. Not one device from Samsung, all of Samsung's devices versus the iPhone. So it's pretty staggering. Well, it seems like the iPhone 6 Plus and the larger iPhone 6 really has hit a note uh, with consumers and people seem to like it. I I know that uh, a lot of the older people that I know, you know, 50 years on up, uh, really appreciate being able to see the screen more by, you know, setting it to the zoomed mode that replicates an iPhone 5 resolution on the bigger screen where they can see it without using their, their glasses. And I think that's, uh, you know, we kind of kind of predicted that a while ago. And that really is coming true here that that's uh, really uh, providing a, a great service for people that have a little bit trouble seeing close up without having to put glasses on. Well, I, I think um, I think if you look at it, what this actually means from a numbers wise, this is a quarter. So there are approximately 90 days in a quarter, 90, I guess, one, if you think, well, how many are there? Anyway, about 90 days, 91.25 days, right? Um, so the, the overall number of iPhones is almost a million a day across the, you know, the entire world that they're selling. It's 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 staggering to think about how many phones are going out there every single day. So anyway, 74.4 million units of the iPhone were sold. The iPad sold 21.4 million units. The Mac sold 5.5 million. Um, iTunes uh, sales were at $4.7 billion and accessory sales at $2.6 billion. You know, I keep seeing stories about, oh, the, you know, the tablet is just a dead thing. Oh, it's just a, a worthless technology. Nobody ever uses it. It's not caught fire like Steve Jobs said it was going to be the, the biggest game changer in the world. Looking at that number right there really tells me, uh, for one, compare it to the Max, which, of course, Max sales have been on fire because the prices now are a third of what they, they were, you know, 10 years ago. They're so much cheaper and, uh, you know, so much more accessible now to people. I mean, the, the starting full price, you know, Mac Mini and the, the, the MacBook Airs are, are a very good price. And, and then if you go to the refurb side, you know, $499 or no, $419 for a Mac Mini and uh, $700 or $699 for an, uh, a MacBook Air. I mean, that's just a that's little bit more than Windows computers now. So $21 million iPads versus 5 million Macs, I mean, that's a huge number. Plus, these iPads last for years. I think they've got a really solid business here, and they're obviously very profitable. So where's the problem in this? I, I don't understand how you know people can say that this is a terrible market. It's going nowhere. It just, it just baffles me how you can take a number like that and say, well, that's just not, that's not cutting it. Yeah, and I think the the overall um, you know the overall sense for people um, is that and and maybe it's not that tablets are dead. Although I, I've read similar articles, I, to me it's a um, you know the tablet is is a um, is a technology that that can last longer than a phone um, because of how the way people are using it. Because it's not something that you're looking at um, you know a hundred times a day. You're maybe only looking at it twenty times a day or something like that. And so as an example, uh, we've got three iPads here in the house. One is an iPad two that gets used every single day, but it's for specific purposes now. But that device is you know almost four years old. We bought that in the middle of 2011. So that is it's been a long time that that thing has really been in use on a daily basis versus the phones that we bought in 2011 were what the iPhone 4s and we're not even thinking about using those anymore. Absolutely not. No way. And 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 I can get 
guarantee you, you will replace that with a new iPad. I guarantee that. You will not just, once that iPad 2 is dead, you won't just throw it away or, you know, get rid of it and not replace it. I can guarantee another one will will fill its shoes, another iPad and a newer one. I mean, and see, this is where it's a really solid, it's a solid number. It's not just a, you know, fly-by-night number. And of course, the iPad and tablets in general have a stiff competition from laptops, you know, like the, the all the new Ultrabooks that are coming out, the, the MacBook Airs, obviously, and of course the iPhone and then the iPhone 6 Plus, especially with its big, huge screen. So it's got some competition in there, but I, it's just to me, it's just such a, a solid number and a solid, a solid unit that it, it it's not going anywhere. Well, it, uh, you know, during the, the subsequent earnings call, these were all it was information that came out in the press release and the earnings call. Apple uh, CEO Tim Cook announced that the company had sold its billionth iOS device back in November. Uh, it was a apparently a 64 gig iPhone 6 Plus, and the company will be keeping that specific device at the headquarters in Cupertino in honor of that milestone. So a billion iOS devices now sitting out there in the market. Apple made a small change to its website last year upon the public release of OS 10 Yosemite that led uh, some to question the release of uh, photos.app for Mac. Mac. Uh, According to uh, the website, it it showed an early 2015 release. Uh, The Mac app has removed all reference on apple.com except for a single help article listing it as being available at a later date. Uh, It's not all bad news, though. It looks like the app is still on track for a release at the end of April. Uh, So we'll see what happens with this one. But yeah, it made made a little, uh, ruffled some feathers this week when they did all that. Well, this is such a botched thing, this new iPhoto, you know, photo stream replacement thing, where it's now kind of an iCloud-based drive photo, where it now replicates the exact same photo stream, but it's not a stream anymore like it used to be, where it used to just kind of download it. It kept the last thousand pictures you took. It stores the videos now in the iCloud. It's really nice because now it's consistent. So if I delete a, an image on there, it deletes across all of them and you can actually see the actual usage it's taking up. But of course, it but it now takes up iCloud drive space. That's okay. Uh, but there's no PC version of it. And there, right. there's no Windows version. There's no Mac version. What are they doing? How could they have released this without having it on the thing? And then now on the, the Windows side of things, there's an iCloud control panel and it still replicates the photo stream. The photos still download, but then if you delete one, then it deletes it on the photo stream. So then you don't have it backed up. I, I don't know what's going on here. It's really a strange, uh, really kind of a, a goofed up situation they did here with this. Well, and, and I look at this as, you know, a, a a new product that they're going to ultimately roll out that I'm really excited about because I take a ton of photos and I really want to use it. Uh, but I, I'm kind of with you. I, I look at, you know, especially with the photos, I, I, I pull up photos on my phone and I will often see that it has to update and upload photos. It, it sometimes works in the background, but if I've got the, the application closed, it doesn't necessarily work. Um, it, it's just, it's not as reliable as it used to be. And unfortunately I think there's still some work that needs to be done. I realize it's still in beta, but it, it's not, it's not yet working. I think the way that it needs to be or should be. So, um, so there's still some, some work to go on that one. So hopefully they can figure that out before it gets released. And Apple has no excuse for using the word beta in anything. If that, that needs to be stopped and halted, uh, immediately there, there, I mean, yes, it can be half baked and not work that good, but don't call it a beta. Yeah, that's right. So Tim Cook also confirming uh, during the call that the Apple iWatch uh, or the Apple Watch, I should say, in the shipping date is expected within the range of early 2015. They consider that to be the first four months of the year. So they said there were some amazing applications in the works for the device. 
and he mentioned that he could not live without the Apple Watch. So see those uh, that device coming up sometime here in the next probably three months now, it sounds like. Cricket Wireless this week cut prices and added more data to its prepaid service plans to keep up with similar offerings from Boost Mobile and MetroPCS. Cricket now offering $5 monthly discounts to customers who use the auto pay feature. And with it, the basic plan costs $35 a month and gives you unlimited talk, text, and 2.5 gigs of high-speed data. That's up from the old limit of a gig. The smart plan costs $45 a month. That's 5 gigs of data, up from 3 previously. And the pro plan is $55 a month. That gives you 10 gigs of data. Lastly, Cricket added the advanced plan that includes 20 gigs of data for $55 a month. The advanced plan will only be available for a limited time and does require an LTE-capable handset. Cricket will provide one month of free service to new customers who sign up for any of the plans that go into effect immediately. LTE speeds on uh, the network for the three lower plans are limited to 8 megabits per second. Customers who exceed that monthly limit on their plan will be throttled for the remainder of the billing period. In a ruling that resulted in a $40 million fine, the FCC says TrackPhone will not be allowed to throttle speeds of customers that are paying for unlimited data service. The case in question applies only to TrackPhone, but helps to reinforce a precedent that could apply to some of the other carriers in the U.S. While AT&T and Verizon don't offer unlimited data plans anymore, both Sprint and T-Mobile do, and have both implemented some form of throttling slowdowns. Sprint's throttling comes only after uh, heavy users in congested areas uh, happens, which is a practice Verizon has considered for legacy unlimited plans, but has, of course, backed away from. Track phone settlement with the FCC will have a $40 million fine directed to fund the refund of affected customers. Additionally, TrackPhone has been directed to clearly and conspicuously describe the limits customers might face on speed and quality of data service for which they pay. One device story this week, and it actually comes to us as a result of our conversation from last week. Uh, and uh, so there was, uh, we talked a lot about Google Play Edition devices on the show, and uh, something happened last week that we, we didn't actually, we didn't fully explain here. So the Google Play Edition Android phones in Google's online storefront uh, were listed as no longer available for sale last week. And Google has not really commented about this, um, but uh, the last new Google Play phone that was uh, introduced to this lineup uh, was in the spring of 2014. Um, there were plans for a Galaxy S5 Google Play Edition phone um, that actually made it out, and we've seen you know some pictures of this thing, but the phone actually never materialized, so you were stuck if you wanted a Samsung device buying the Galaxy S4. The program did uh, go well for a number of years, I guess, and uh, so you had devices like the S4, the HTC one M7 and M8, uh, the first gen version of the Moto G, the Sony Z Ultra, uh, but they're all gone, uh, and it looks like the program is uh, is done for a while here, if not forever. Um, it's a very interesting thing to to have happened here. So, well, I guess the program could come back in the future. It is not available today, and there's no devices you can buy through here. No, and I don't think it will be. I mean, we've seen the Nexus, uh, you know, go up in price, which was kind of a real shocker there, and uh, you know, the demand for um, you know, skinless Android phones have just gone down because the manufacturers have, you know, made their skins, their front ends better. They're more feature rich. Uh, they've got a bunch of extra good stuff in them that you actually want to have if you've got one of those particular devices. And they've become a necessity in devices like the Note. And it's just not, uh, and, and Google itself isn't keeping up with some of these features for Android itself. 
So the demand has just dropped off, and and I think um, I don't know what it is, but it's it's the the processors have probably have kept uh, have uh, gotten so much better and faster that you do not need to have the stripped down operating system like you did before. So uh, it's just a, it's a whole combination of things that have kind of just driven this you know uh, you know raw naked Android uh, away from being a, available for sale, and it's just a casualty of the the market. Now, this isn't to say that you can't buy devices through Google anymore, because certainly you've got the Nexus line that is still out there. That's still vibrant and and being updated. You've got the Nexus 5, 6, and 9 that are all available. So you can pop in and and buy one of those if you want by going over to the Google Play Store. And if you said I need to go get an Android device, that's probably where I would go. I mean, it really is, because I do want the latest uh, operating system uh, as soon as possible. And the Nexus is still, still the one that gets that. The hard part about this, though, is that if you if you go to buy one now, it, the prices are significantly higher than they used to be. So these Nexus six, uh, sorry, the Nexus five, uh, which was a device that was in uh, the sub four hundred dollar range, um, has now been replaced by the Nexus six. The Nexus six, six hundred and forty nine dollars to start. So you're going to be paying essentially the same amount that you would pay for any other unlocked device at this point. So keep that in mind if you decide to do that. Software news, Microsoft on Thursday released an Outlook email application for both Android and iOS. The application is based on the code from Accompli. This is a company Microsoft acquired last year. And with Outlook for Android and iOS, users can manage their work and personal email through a single application. It supports Office 365, Exchange, Outlook.com, Yahoo Mail, Gmail, and other email services. Users can personalize their experience with customizable swipes and actions. The Outlook email app also offers native calendar integration to make scheduling and managing a calendar easy. Outlook for Android and iOS is free to download from the Play Store and iTunes App Store, respectively. The Android version of Outlook is being offered as a preview for the time being. So I gave that a shot on Thursday when it came out, and uh, the push notification seems to work really good. It's uh, very instantaneous when the email comes in, so that's good. Uh, The email view is okay i'm not and i don't think it's wonderful it's uh it's 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 all right for me but what i can't believe is missing is the rest of outlook i mean when you use outlook on the desktop it's kind of the whole package of what the exchange server itself supports it's databases uh missing is reminders or tasks that's not in here the notes is not in here at all that's non-existent and contacts is also non-existent so this is it's got calendar and it has email so it's missing that uh it does work with exchange 2007 so i did obviously confirm that i i was kind of surprised it actually did because it seems like a lot of the newer things like the new version of outlook for mac actually does not support uh 2007 version of exchange and it uh, but it's missing those big functions of outlook so it's a little weird to me but it, it you know for for people that want to use this or keep keep their work email off of their personal device and use something like this this is definitely a a a great solution for you know exchange support and i'm i'm curious i want to kind of dig into this a little bit more to see if this uses outlook anywhere support or if it uses the actual active sync um protocol interesting and i i downloaded it as well um it is sitting on my ipad i have not launched it yet um although i i moved it into a folder um where i had the owa application not to be confused with outlook which are essentially um like what's the word where like, well that's basically kind of using a web uh it's basically you know it's it's kind of a web wrap or web wrapping the the, the outlook web access you know website right. and just creating an app out of that yeah, and it's uh, <clears throat> the app, the icons for each application are very similar. One is 
white with a blue background. The other is blue with a white background. Um, they look basically identical uh, with just that minor change, um, kind of you know inverses of each other, or negatives of each other. I guess is what I was trying to say. But uh, anyway, it, yeah, it's um, it, it's out there. A lot of people are excited about it, especially if you're using uh, you know Gmail. This is another way to to have Gmail integration on your device if you don't want to use the Gmail application itself. Um, which is, I would say, you know, mediocre at best. I use it only really for searching, but otherwise I'm just using the, the overall mail uh, default application on the device. So um, either way, uh, Outlook email for Android and iOS is now available. And it is free if you want to go download it and try it out. Google Now will soon begin to show cards from third-party applications, allowing 40 select apps to deliver information and other results to Android devices. Some of those with early access include Airbnb, eBay, and Lyft, according to the Wall Street Journal. Along as, as long as Android, that is, uh, users have signed into Google Now and have the third-party apps installed, they'll be able to surface relevant content in the form of cards within Google Now. Users will have to give the third-party apps permission to access Now in order for them to work. Well, Apple started the war on Flash years ago, but one of the biggest users of the technology is finally moving away from it. Five years after Google introduced HTML5 video as an option on YouTube, the video service is now defaulting to the standard over Flash. The change has been a long time coming with YouTube working steadily to default to HTML5 across major browsers, including Chrome, beta versions of Firefox, IE11, and Safari 8. Very exciting. I've always despised Flash since the the minute it was released. It's always been buggy. Uh, just this week alone, they had uh, I think it was a two uh, emergency, you know, zero day, you know, security flaws, you know, very critical ones that you had to update it. It's just it's a it's a nightmare. It's a heavyweight. Actually, basically everything from Adobe is uh, a drag on your system. But this has just been uh, a long time coming. So this is great news to uh, put one more one more thing in the HT the 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 you know, moving towards HTML5. Yeah, and this was obviously one of the biggest, uh, you know, biggest trafficked websites in the world. YouTube, that is, in fact, it may be still the biggest. Uh, uh, they just, I mean, obviously, people use YouTube for everything from watching videos of, of family and friends to full length movies to just listening to general music. Yeah, and, and and obviously there are you know older computers like uh, for example the uh, the Mac Mini I have from 2010 doesn't really support HTML5 very good because it is it's a lot more processor intensive. Um, for example, the uh, Safari can now play HTML5 version of Netflix now natively um, without having to use Silverlight on uh, newer Macs, but not on the old Mac, uh, not on the old Mac Mini. Well, it's, you know, every every step we take towards kind of, I'll just say, um, you know, unifying the experience that you have if you don't have to install things like Flash is a good thing. So I'm, I'm very excited to hear this. Apple on Tuesday released iOS 8.1.3 for iPhones, iPads, and the iPod Touch. The main improvement is the reduction in the amount of onboard storage needed to install the system update. The system update also resolves an issue preventing people from entering their passwords for iMessage and FaceTime, fixes a spotlight bug that didn't show applications when doing on-phone searches, and fixes an issue that would cause multitasking gestures on the iPad to intermittently stop working. iOS 8.1.3 can be downloaded and installed for free either through iTunes or over the air. Now that that you just mentioned a searching app bug from Spotlight, I ran into that and I I, I was baffling me. I was like I was I typed in the name of the app in the search light. I'm like, okay, where is it? I know it's on here. And then I went and you know I had to go find it in the you know buried in a folder. I'm like, and then I researched for it and it didn't show up again. I'm like, what is that? And it it didn't even occur to me that it was a bug in the in the uh, the Spotlight search. 
all three of these issues I have experienced. And so <clears throat> when I read the, the release notes for this, I was very excited to see that all three were being addressed. I really hope that this, um, that this, this kind of process of, of bug fixes continues because um, it has just been, I mean, it's just been painful to use the iPhone here. Basically, if you've been using an iPhone for a while, you know the reliability, you know how it's supposed to work, and to have any of these bugs now showing up is just infuriating. It is, and I'm still getting uh, email notifications playing the wrong sound and the uh, you know vibrating when they shouldn't or vice versa. I'm I'm you know personal email. I've got a real quiet kind of little beep sound to it, and uh, the work email's got a it's a lot louder uh, you know chime versus the the ding or whatever the whatever it is. But it still plays them it plays them intermittently back and forth between the two different accounts, and it it's really irritating. It is, and and I I, I don't know. I look at all of this uh, you know all the things that are happening and the changes that are happening, and I just I really want them to fix this stuff. Um, you know, fix these bugs versus adding more features at this point. So, uh, but either way, good news to see another release come out here and fix some of the issues that I've been complaining about for quite a while. HTC on Friday had uh, said some of its handsets won't likely meet its 90-day timeline to deliver Lollipop. Uh, several years ago, HTC promised customers it would update its handsets to the latest version of Android within 90 days of that version's general re- release. According to HTC, however, things aren't going so smoothly with Android 5.0. They said, we've been working hard in the labs with Google and our carrier partners ever since the code release and are making great progress. But if you've been following the progress of the rollout, you know that Google has had to address several issues with the release and they were working diligently to fix some of them on their end before incorporating Google's fixes as quickly as possible. But despite the best efforts, the carrier versions of the HTC One M8 and HTC One M7 will not meet our 90-day goal, which is February 1st. HTC concluded, saying it would prefer to deliver the update correctly rather than quickly. It said it would con- uh, continue to provide updates as more information about Lollipop rolls, uh, rollouts become available. Questions and comments this week. First up is a question from Patrick. He says, Mickey and Joey, I believe this may have been discussed on the show before, but can a Verizon iPhone 5S or 6 be used on all of T-Mobile's LTE bands since they now have the 700 megahertz spectrum band 12, I believe, that they received from Verizon. Also, it's my understanding that these two devices would uh, also support T-Mobile's HSPA bands. I'm thinking about jumping over to their two unlimited lines for a $100 deal and would like to use my two 5Ss if possible. Also, would it be reasonable to assume that Wi-Fi calling and texting would work on these phones if they were activated on T-Mobile? Thanks as always for the great show. Patrick. So um, so here's the thing, Patrick. Um, yes, the LTE bands on the Verizon and T-Mobile versions of the its model A1533 uh, iPhone 5S are the same. What that, however, doesn't mean is that the new 700 megahertz spectrum that is band 12 would necessarily work on it. Unfortunately, uh, that band 12 is not included in the list of LTE bands that are supported on Apple devices. So there's a very good chance that you will not get that working for that uh, for that device. Um, the iPhone 6 is the same way as this if you look at the different bands that are supported. Um, however, um, all that said, if you have the latest T-Mobile carrier update on the phone, the rest of these bands should work. In fact, they should work regardless of that. Um, and like I said, Apple's website shows the, the same device, that A1533, for uh, AT&T as well, as well as T-Mobile and Verizon. So that's all good news. So the LTE stuff is going to work just fine. The HSPA stuff is going to work just fine. And of course, it's got GSM support for when you happen to be in, in really bad service areas, and that's all that you can get. So um, that's that that's all great news there. On the Wi-Fi calling and texting front, um, you know, it does work on the, on the 5S. Um, 
I've read contradictory reports of getting those features working on a Verizon configured phone. Um, one, one of the thoughts that I had on this was that you might just need to reset the phone uh, and reset it up with the T-Mobile SIM in the phone to get it to start working. Um, but, uh, but that is, looks like it's, it's undetermined here. And, and I was looking through and trying to me- make sure that I was reading the most, the latest information on whether or not this is going to work. Some people are saying, yes, it works. No problem. Some are saying that they were having issues, but, um, I would, I would say that there's probably other factors in play here. So hopefully it will work. The phone itself does have the capability. So again, as long as you've got the latest carrier update and the phone is, you know, is recognizing that you're using T-Mobile, I would imagine you would be able to get this to work. So it's just uh, a simple flip of the switch inside of, uh, of of the settings in there. So good luck with that, and uh, you should be able to, uh, to use these devices on T-Mobile if you decide to make that switch. Finally, today is a comment from Anton. He says, Mickey and Joey was listening to show 451, the part at the very beginning about robocalls, and this reminded me of a story here in Russia that is still unfolding. So a guy's mother-in-law was getting nasty, annoying phone calls from a, collect- a collection agency on her recycled phone number. She wasn't related to the actual debtor, uh, just the recycled number, so went ahead and and uh, the, uh, this guy went and wrote an Android application to automatically figure out those numbers and then block them. The database is, uh, the, the app is now released and the database is constantly updated with new numbers by the community uh, of equally annoyed people. So he put the application on Google Play and it has exploded out here. So much so actually that the collection agencies are now really upset and looking for ways to pull the application down. Just an interesting bit Anton, and I thought about this, and how interesting is this? Um, you know, we have for spam email, we have these kind of like, you know, I'll say these these databases of, of, of email addresses that we know are spam and obviously constantly updated by the providers that are offering these email accounts for us, whether it's through a third-party service or something like a Google, uh, Google Gmail application. And uh, so why not do it for phone numbers? Uh, you've got all these calls that are coming through that you don't want to receive. Um, this is a, an interesting thing. And I would argue uh, in Anton, and not argue, but I would also say that if you use Google Voice here in the U.S., there is a database that also uh, that also takes advantage of this and does block a lot of calls that come through. Yeah, and I actually see that on my Google Voice. I see a bunch of voicemails from calls that had been stopped, not, not ones that I put in the block list, which you can also do on Google Voice, but they're uh, you know, messages from you know junky things that obviously they've been able to either identify on the fly that they're like spam callers or obviously they see a whole bunch of them come in at a time and they probably just relegate them to the, uh, to the voicemail and you don't ever actually see them on your device. You have to go into the website and click on the blocked or the spam or the junk or whatever they call it in there. Uh, but also on the flip side, though, we do have that you know ability to block incoming calls and texts on the iPhone now, which is really nice because um, you know I'd, I'd see a, an unusual phone number come in, I'll Google it quick, and uh, I see that it was a you know junk uh, junk call, and I, I throw it in the block list because I see a lot of people saying you know called me you know for you know seven days straight, three times a day, and and so I never see those again. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm kind of the I, I mentioned it last week. I've, I've been kind of seeing this increase in in spam calling. Um, I, I actually had a pretty um, a pretty busy active week with those as well this week too, and so I was I was regularly blocking them. And to your point, I, I get these 
these emails from Google saying, you know, you've got a voicemail uh, and it's three seconds long and there's there's nothing on there. Or maybe it's just someone saying hello and then hanging up. Um, and it's and it's from all of these these spam numbers. And so but the calls are never coming through. So obviously very easy to deal with a uh, an email and not and not a phone call, which is incredibly more disruptive uh, than an email coming through. So um, it, very interesting uh, stuff here, Anton. Thank you for sending that through. I, I'm excited to hear that there are databases out there and there are applications being created to help with the exact same issues that uh, we're talking about here and uh, in solving problems for people as as, uh, as as they see fit. So very nice stuff there. Well, if you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email to questions at the cell phone and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can also send us your, uh, your audio comments there as well, and we will get those questions or comments on a future show. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. We, it's one of our favorite parts of the show, and it can be anything about something we've talked about or something you'd like us to clarify or something that you'd like us to investigate. We'd love to hear it, and we'll take care of it for you. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.